0: I am your host, Ricky Rodan. Today I have a special guest. I have my very good friend. I would say my best friend, one of my brothers in Christ, uh, Jason L. Bradfield. He is an ex-hyper-preterist. He was in the movement for many years. and I will let him get more into uh, his little bio. Uh, testimony. And uh, today we're going to speak on the difference between Orthodox preterism and hyper preterism in the Roman eschatology and uh, dissect a little on why hyper preterism is full blown heresy. All right, with that, uh, I'm going to welcome my guest, Jason Bradfield. What up? Up? what's up? <laughs> what's going on? Just chilling, chilling, chilling on lockdown. lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> chilling with the rona. <laughs> I wonder if they're gonna make like a, a scary movie called Dorona. rona. There's a there's a Mexican movie called La Llorona. <laughs> La Corona. <laughs> anyway, the Mexicans and Spanish people will get it. Uh, but um real quick jay i took three years of spanish in high school and i don't remember a lick same same here i barely passed with a d i think i think it was a (laughs) a really low c or a high d um of course most of it because i won't yeah we'll get into all that but you already know (laughs) but yeah so give us a little background people who don't know you Um, just give us a little quick bio, a little testimony about yourself, how you became a Christian, how you got into, um, preterism, into hyper-preterism and out of hyper-preterism.
1: So I grew up in a military family. Uh, My dad served in the army for over 20 years. And he grew up in church, but once he got, became an adult, got into the military, um, of got away from it so i didn't grow up in church at all knew nothing about the bible and uh didn't care about any of it and uh huge michael jordan fan by the way the goat yeah (laughs) the goat sorry he's back now that he's back in the news uh so in 1993 a girl invited me to go to church this was two years into my senior year of high school and the only reason i went because she asked me i had a crush on her i was like yeah i'll go hang out with her and well god had different plans for me i heard the gospel it was it was a uh, it was an evangelistic outreach which is the reason why she invited me that particular day and so it was like a 45-minute gospel presentation and i just found myself sitting there in the pew like like you know this answers a lot of stuff a lot of questions that i had you know, what, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? And um, I mean, I've always thought that there was something out there, you know, a creator or something, but that's as far as I took it. And as we like to put it, in Reformed Faith, God effectually called me, you know, that day and uh, found myself believing it, repenting of my sins, following Christ. So that was at a Southern Baptist church, which I had no idea what that meant. But that's how I started. <clears throat> and... So they were uh, dispensational, you know, Armenian again, stuff. I'd had no idea what that meant back then. I just assumed that everybody, all Christians thought the way we thought and whatever my pastor was telling me, that's what I accepted. So right off the bat, I was immediately taught, uh, you know, the whole rapture thing, it was never, he never taught dispensationalism, like on an academic level, it was just that more popular, you know, don't get left behind. The rapture is going to happen any moment. So I got involved in church very heavily, you know, it changed my whole life, uh, overnight and, um, eventually got involved in evangelism. And then that, that led to me going out to the streets and I started doing a uh, Christian rap, hip hop. This would be about 94, 95, uh, just performing on the streets, evangelizing people. So I got involved in youth ministry. My wife, Amanda, 98, moved to New Orleans. Uh, to go to seminary down there, and I was down there for about a year and a half. And uh, I want to include this part of it. It's, it's not eschatology related, but it it's just kind of interesting how it worked out. Um, when I got down to New Orleans, I started just reading the Bible like crazy, just kind of preparing myself for classes. And I started seeing some stuff in the, in the Scripture about predestination, election, and stuff like that, things I had never been taught before and so i basically became what you might call calvinist before i before I'd even heard of calvinism or calvin i didn't even know who charles spurgeon was in fact i was talking to some classmates about it like hey what do you guys do with romans nine and some of this stuff and i kid you not one of the guys said well you sound like you're a calvinist and i was like the first thing that popped in my head was uh that scene from back in the future where uh, marty goes back and he's uh He's sleeping in his mom's bed <laughs> yeah and she, i think she woke him up and he was wearing calvin klein underwear and he she thought his name was calvin <laughs> <laughs> that's like the only calvin i can think of like who are who are these like, calvinist what? people I've, I've never heard of these are they are they still alive where do they live yeah, and uh work. calvin klein jeans what? <laughs> so that led to me going to the bookstore and trying to figure out who these people were and then uh, I came across a book by John Piper, Let the Nations Be Glad, read that book, took it home. It was a fantastic book. And one of the things he does in that book is he goes, he traces the, the glory of God theme throughout scripture. You I know, mean, God does everything for his glory. I was like, this is it. This is, I'm seeing this. And uh, so Piper was the guy who basically was my gateway to Calvinism. And he in turn introduced other guys to me like, uh, Calvin, Luther, uh, John, uh, Jonathan Edwards especially, because that's one of his favorites. And so, you know, I kind of followed Piper there for a while, became, uh, I guess you could call a Reformed Baptist. Hmm. And then what finally uh, triggered the whole eschatology stuff was in 2001, uh, when we got attacked there in New York. I had a friend come up to me. I was managing some apartments, and he was paying to rent. That dude. And he was. He said, "Jason, this is it, man. Jesus is coming back soon." I was like, "Yeah, of course he is. You know, we, yeah, I believe that." He's like, "No, bro. He's like, I'm talking like next week." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> And I, I didn't really know what to say to him, but when he left, I got thinking about like, man, how in the world does he know this? Like, I mean, I, by this time I had read the scriptures through a number of times, and I'm like. What's triggering him in his mind to think that that specific event is now the the sign of the end? Um, And plus, I thought it was kind of prideful in a way because, I mean, what's so special about America? You know, America gets attacked and now he thinks it's over. God's ready to wrap it up. So it just didn't make sense to me, but I didn't know how to answer it. Because, again, I had been taught this rapture stuff. So I went to a, a friend of mine who went through the same kind of change that i did as being a southern baptist and then becoming calvinist and stuff and he's like well i got some uh i got a conference set of cassettes remember those things cassettes yeah <laughs> got yeah. a he had a set that he gave me and it was a ligonier conference uh, eschatology conference i think from 1993 or something and one of the first cassettes that i laid eyes on was one by kenneth gentry called uh it had something to do with Matthew 24, Pastor the Field. I was like, ooh, this sounds interesting. And, um, what, Was that
0: the conference that was in Orlando? I think it was. Yeah, I was there. I went to that conference. Actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, me and, my, me and my pop and my two brothers, we went. I met Gentry and all of them there. Yeah, cool. I, actually, that's the first time I was introduced to preterism. I was like, what, huh. is, this guy, what is this Gentry guy talking about? <laughs> I had no idea. Well, yeah, and I had,
1: <clears throat> after talking to my friend, I had started, you know, reading through the Bible a lot more and just paying more attention to the eschatology stuff, and it, I kind of, the same thing happened to me with uh, eschatology that I did with Calvinism, was I started seeing some stuff that made me wonder, like, maybe there's something more going on in the first century that, that I hadn't been taught, and, like, for example, when you read through Daniel, here's a prime example, Daniel talks about these four kingdoms, the statue, and their consecutive kingdoms, starting with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And almost every commentary says the last kingdom is, is the Roman Empire. So I was like, well, okay, if that's the case, and there's no gaps in that, then that would put the fulfillment of the, you know, the Daniel talks about the kingdom of God coming out of the uh, the sky as a rock, and it crushes the statue, destroys all the other kingdoms. And then the kingdom of God is established and then it grows, fills the earth. And so, you know, I've got that in my mind. And then I when you get to the New Testament, what's the first thing out of John the Baptist's mouth and Jesus' mouth? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I was like, whoa, all right. So this this sounds to me like there's something going on in the fr- not just Jesus's uh, ministry and death burial resur- resurrection, but even like the establishment of the kingdom. It sounds like it's something that's at hand, it's imminent. Right. So that's kinda, that's kind of what got me rolling. But um, again, I had never heard of preterism or anything like that. So when I when I got the the tapes, Kenneth Gentry, I, I listened to that. That was the first time I've ever heard of the term preterist and what, who these people were. It was also the first time that I was aware that there was a temple that was destroyed in eighty seventy and the destruction of Jerusalem. I didn't even know that stuff had happened. <laughs> I was I was sitting here thinking that maybe there was you know something that Jesus was tying this to, but I because of my historical ignorance, I had nothing to tie it to. So, so just like Piper was sort of my gateway into uh, Calvinism and stuff, Gentry was my gateway into the whole post millennial. Predator's world. So, I uh, that's how I found out about guys like Rush Dooney, David Chilton, Gary North, Gary DeMar, Keith Matheson. So, I was uh, that was in Alabama. I was about an hour and a half away from Atlanta. So, I drove over to Atlanta to meet with Gary DeMar there at American Vision and mm-hmm. Ralph, Bar- Ralph Barker and I ended up spending about 800 bucks worth of books. <laughs> to- Took them home and uh, just got just absorbed in all that post millennial world, and uh, and that's where I kind of settled for about a year. So what what finally led then into the hyper preterism stuff was as I'm reading these uh, preterists. I'm really starting to struggle in my mind with okay if we're saying there are certain passages that are referring to this coming of christ that happens in AD 70 and it uses all this fancy language how do we distinguish that coming from a future coming because you know post-millennialist predators they all affirm a future return but how do you distinguish the two at, in any given passage and it was very confusing for me and then that on top of the fact that you know Rick I was one of these guys if you didn't well you could, actually we you and I just started talking around this time around 2001 2002 it's when we met um I was one yeah. of these I was a prime example of a guy who knew the language and could throw around you know terms like justification and sanificating all this stuff but if you'd have sat me down and like, drilled me like, okay, what exactly do these things mean? I don't think I could have passed even a basic, you know, deacon's exam somewhere at a Presbyterian church. <laughs> I, I know for I know for a fact if Dr. Talbot would have, my pastor would have sat me down back then, he would have drilled me and that would have been it. I probably would have walked out of there and apostatized or something.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Talbot put the, put the fear in That's for sure.
1: So as I'm sitting here trying to figure all this stuff out, as far as the eschatology stuff, keep in mind that I, I am not systematically trained at this point. And so, and, and that, was a, that was a big factor because if you're systematically trained, there, there should have been some red flags that went off, some warning signs as I'm exploring this theory about uh, past fulfillment. But they just didn't go off. And uh, I remember, in fact, I remember uh, talking to you on the phone around that time. And I was, that was when I was transitioning into uh, hyper-preterism. And I remember you telling me, he's like, just be careful, you know, (laughs) don't, (laughs) don't, don't go too far. And, uh, obviously I didn't listen. (laughs) I remember. So, uh, I officially embraced it in 2003 and we can explain a little bit more about what preterism is exactly definition wise. But, um, Embraced in 2003 for about seven years. I moved my family down to St. Pete, Florida, got involved with Sam Frost, who was a very well-known hyper-preterist back then, yep. and we created a uh, Reign of Christ Ministries. It was a very, extremely popular uh, website, a uh, social network called Sovereign Grace Preterism. Uh, we did over like two or 300 podcasts, articles, uh, just we were trying to put ourselves out there as like a think tank hyperpreterism and did that for six or seven years and then finally renounced it in 2010 which we can get in that later but yeah that's it that's uh that's it in a nutshell
0: <laughs> yeah and uh you were very heavily involved with um helping the movement um get a footing especially in online on the internet doing debates with people I remember you guys uh You, uh, you, Sam Frost. uh, Is it Mike Grace? Right? It's not Mark Mark, Mark Grace. Mark Grace played first base for the Cubs. So it's it's Mike (laughs) Grace. (laughs) Um, The other guy. um, The country guy, man. He had a really heavy accent. The guy I keep asking about. uh, Oh, Kent. Kent. And uh, another dude that was in Tampa, the wolf or something. I forgot his name.
1: Yeah, James. Yeah.
0: Husband, James. So it was you guys. And it was a group of us. It was what? It was me. It was me, John Howe, Leroy, I wanna say Cruz, Cordero.
1: Ah, who was the other one? Oh um John's What's boy. Uh, ben.
0: Ben Otero?
1: Yeah, wasn't he in that? Are you talking about Total Reformando? Yeah. yeah, Total Reformando. Reformado. I think
0: uh, ben. Not, uh, the other guy, the the John John Howells friend. Oh man! Oh, I mean, uh, who- Tyler. Tyler, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we had this group, you know, it was like online, bam, it was this, <laughs> a gang war. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> those were the days, then those were fun. But hey, man, those things taught us a lot. Listen. From, from the, that, from my part, uh, going through those discussions with you guys online made me study more deep about preterism, hyper preterism, you know, orthodox preterism. And it even got me to switch over to uh, the partial preterist position. Um, but yeah, uh, you guys, especially Sam Fraud, you like Sam Fraud's, like, right-hand man in the reign of christ sam frost wrote a book he wrote one book right the one about uh the resurrection first corinthians 15. Well, he yeah, gave hyper preteris interpretation of that passage
1: yeah that and he had one called uh misplaced hope was his first one misplaced
0: yeah, hope. yeah. he was good buddies with uh what don preston
1: and these other guys Oh, oh yeah, he was. By that time, I think he'd already been in it over ten years, uh, and yeah. there was every conference they had. He was one of the main speakers. I mean, he was pretty much guaranteed because uh, he was one of the few within that movement that actually had some seminary training and could actually read Hebrew and Greek. And Sam, right. Sam would teach at church and just teach straight out of the Greek. it's <laughs> it pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. Just tr- translate on the fly. So he's a smart dude. Yep, and right. I gotta get him on
0: here too. we we'll talk about his uh, both his books. The one he refuted, <laughs> they wrote as hyper preterist, and the book yeah. he wrote, I uh, said, Why I Left Full Preterism. But yeah, so uh, with that said, can you give us a brief description of the difference between or, or just give us a definition of preterism and then? give us like the main distinctions between hyper-preterism, also known as full-preterism, and uh, orthodox or partial-preterism.
1: Yeah, that's very important because those terms, hyper-preterism, full-preterism, preterism, they get thrown around a lot, and a lot of people are very confused um, as to what they mean, and, you know, is hyper-preterism the same thing as full-preterism, and a lot of people say no. and so. The word preterist, um, if you look up one of my favorite websites to go to is the online etymology dictionary, where you can type in a word and it gives you like a history of the word. It defines a preterist as a person who favors the past. And then they they, they take the word and they, they break it down. And praetor consists of, uh, well, it's Latin praetor. It means something that's beyond, something that's before or above. Uh, something that's past, and so a preterist is someone who uh, interprets. Well, here's the thing: when you know in the Bible we have a lot of prophecies, things that are predicted. If you take a prophecy and say that that prophecy has been fulfilled, it's in the past. Technically, that makes you a preterist with respect to that prophecy. Right, but but if you think about it that would make every Christian a preterist because we all believe there are certain prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus in his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection. So it wouldn't make any sense to call everybody a preterist. Nice. So, so where that label comes into specific use is when it comes to um, prophecies regarding the eschaton. And the eschaton is a Greek word, it just means last things. So eschatology is the study of last things. And in eschatology, uh, you have, there's personal eschatology, right? Every person lives on this earth for a certain amount of time, then they die. And so it it discusses death and things of that sort. And then there's a cosmic general eschatology that deals with, you know, where is God taking history? What is the goal? What is the purpose? Uh, What's going to happen in the future? Is everything going to continue as it is? Or is there going to be an end to this? Uh, the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, all this stuff is involved in eschatology. So a preterist historically was a person who said with respect to eschatological prophecies that most of those prophecies have been fulfilled already. Uh, Another way of putting it is you take the book of Revelation, for example, a preterist interpretation of that says that most of that book has been fulfilled. And then in contrast to that, you have other views like a futurist, Futurist says most of it's not fulfilled, most of it's still in our future. And then you have historicists and idealists and all that. But historically, that's what the label meant. If you were a preterist, you were someone who interpreted most prophecies as fulfilled. In fact, that online uh, etymology (laughs) dictionary
0: I couldn't even say it.
1: Yeah, it it defines it exactly that. It says, one who holds that the apocalyptic prophecies have begun to be fulfilled. You know notice the key distinction there. doesn't say a preterist believe someone says it's all fulfilled but it's begun to be fulfilled. So that but, historic that historically is what Preterists has meant. Um, and another thing too that's I think it's very important to point out in that regard is preterism historically still operated within the bounds of creedal orthodoxy. And what I mean by that is, if you go back and you look at some of the, the old creeds, like the Apostles, the Nicene, the Antonation, um they don't really get too detailed into eschatology because that you know they were dealing with other issues. But one of the things every one of those creed confirms are what I would call the essentials of Christian or, uh, eschatology. They all affirmed a future bodily return of Christ. They all affirmed a future final judgment of all men. They affirmed a future bodily resurrection of all men. And then lastly, they talk about this coming age to come, or eternal age, which is basically synonymous with the arrival of the new heavens and new earth. All the creeds affirm that. it wasn't even debatable. It's just taken for granted. This is what Christians believe. So historical preterism has always operated within those boundaries. Um, now, you may not agree with the view. You may not like it. And there's certainly a lot of Christians that don't. But it's but it still works within those parameters. It's, it's still a Christian view. It's, it's an alternative within uh, Christian Orthodox. Well, around, uh, I guess it was be around the 1800s, this view came out that said, well, we believe all of it's fulfilled. There's no exceptions. The whole book of Revelation is fulfilled. Well, this extreme view came out, and there was a couple of guys that pushed it, and then it kind of died off, and then this view got resurrected in the 1900s with guys like Max King, Ed Stevens, some of these guys are coming out of the Church of Christ mainly. And they started pushing um, this view, this form of preterism, but it was an extreme form. And the reason why it's extreme is because if you say all prophecies fulfilled, then you're including those four things that I just mentioned, the future coming, the resurrection. Mm -hmm. They they say that we're somehow living in the new heavens and new earth. in the final judgment has all occurred in the destruction of jerusalem in the temple that when those things were destroyed that according to them was a sign that these other spiritual things were happening that you know jesus spiritually came and there was a judgment and all this other stuff so it's a form of preterism but because it goes beyond orthodoxy you got to come up with some sort of name with it to distinguish it from the historical view. So this is where you start getting into labels like full preterism versus the partial preterism. Uh, some call it, Kenneth Gentry, I think, coined the term hyper-preterism, which is the one I prefer to use because it's right. pointing out to you that, hey, there was a historical preterism and these guys are hyper. They've gone beyond orthodoxy. Um, some full pre- pre-
0: pre- Full preterism, sorry, not interrupting, but and it seems like the word full preterism would indicate that they are within the pale of orthodoxy. It almost sounds like they're more consistent. Like, we're full preterists. We, you know, we're, we have it all right because we're full preterists (laughs) as opposed to partial preterists. Well, yeah, it's like, I like the word hyper too. Yeah, that's, that's the proper term, whether they like it or not.
1: Well, it's like those guys that well, we preach the full gospel, <laughs> right? right? It's the same kind of mentality. Right. They, they, they don't they don't like predators because it it's derogatory. But I'm like, well, who cares? You know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I don't but, know one hyper Calvinist out there that says, "Yeah,
1: I am a hyper Calvinist." <laughs> I don't know any
0: of those either. So <laughs> it is. But I mean,
1: is. yeah, I mean, there were a few. There there are a few people that they don't care. You can call them whatever you want. You call them. Uh, rats behind. They don't care. They they'll take it. But um, uh, but like when when I was in the movement, I didn't like the hyper preterist. So I, I preferred full preterist. Or you know, Don Preston calls his covenant eschatology. Another one that was big was transmillennialism. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with gender changes. <laughs> that was that was Max Keen's. <laughs> That was uh, Max King's version of it, because he he argues that the thousand years, the millennium, was from thirty A.D. to forty. It was consummated in, in er, no, what did I say? Thirty A.D. to uh, seventy A.D. Hello, <laughs> right. forty years, and the old covenant was uh, made obsolete. It was vanishing, and it would finally disappear in eighty seventy. Whereas the new covenant was established in eighty thirty and then it's maturing and it comes to a consummation 80s so the millennium is that 40 years and it's a transition so he calls it transmillennialism but here's the thing it's all the same thing i mean you know when you have somebody and you're trying to figure out like well are you full prayer all you got to do is ask them this do you believe that all prophecies are fulfilled if they say yes then they're hyper preterist i don't care what else they want to call it they may have their special niche within that movement, right? But that's what—that's what brings them all together. Is they believe that all prophecies fulfilled, and as a result, they reject those four things I mentioned earlier. That's what they all have in common. Um, and the reason why they—here's the other thing to understand about the movement—is the reason why they fight over labels and terms is because that's the only thing they have in common <laughs> is to say that jesus christ already came back and it's all fulfilled once you start asking hi- predators, well what do you think about the resurrection you get 10 predators in a room you're going to come up with 15 different explanations for what the resurrection is they don't all agree on it
0: um
1: right. they, they don't agree on the trinity they don't agree on inspiration of scripture there's virtually nothing that they agree on as a whole as a group other than that saying that jesus christ already returned so
0: right so what with, with that said what are the let's see because because people think well especially those who you know when i when i discuss these things in our group uh by the way a plug reformed eschatology debate group on facebook Uh, They think that this is just it's just another eschatology view. It's not a salvific issue.
1: What do you you say about that? So this is where the this is why I mentioned earlier in my testimony about not being systematically trained. (laughs) Uh oh. (laughs) A lot of the hyperpreterist you got to understand a great deal of them have a similar background that I had. Like they started off dispensationalist. Uh, many of them started off like believing new covenant theology, things of that sort. And so again, they they, they know these words like salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. They know the terminology, but you, these are people that don't really understand. They don't, they, really they don't really comprehend what these words mean like if you were to ask them okay explain these things in your own words uh in detail they they can't do it and so a lot of them are just like me where you're you're trying to wrestle with these time texts in scripture and certain places um and trying to make sense of it all but you know, if you were systematically trained, there should be some red flags that go off and say, "Nope, you're going too far. You're stepping out of those bounds." But though that warning system's not there because they're not trained, they're not. Um, so you end up with people like myself uh, who thought I could be reformed, quote unquote, and be a Calvinist and still be a hyper preterist at the same time. Uh, you have some of those guys that well, they didn't care. they was like, well we don't care about Christian orthodoxy. We don't care about the church historically. You know, this is where a lot of the church of Christ guys were at, which makes a lot of sense because you know, they're (laughs) church. Christ already had their own problems before hyper You know, these are the, there's no creed, but Jesus type crowd. Um, So away with the creed (laughs) and the confessions. Because they're not systematically. See, here's the thing. The Bible, the ultimate author of the Bible is God himself, right? It's God inspired, it's God breathed, as Paul puts it literally, it's the breath of God. And so, you know, God hasn't revealed to us everything there is to know, but he's revealed part of it. And what he's given to us in his word is, it's part of a system. God is logical, he's rational. He doesn't, he's not just gonna throw out random thoughts to us that, that contradict one another and stuff like this right so there's there's a rationality to it there's there's order there's logical order and one of the things that predators fail to understand is the reason why christians have been so insistent on uh, affirming a future bodily return and the resurrection of the dead is it's not just because the bible teaches it but this is where if you if you begin with the premise of our view of like what happened in the garden what was the curse involved death and then you look at the doctrines of salvation all this this is where this these doctrines logically lead to um it's all connected it's all logically ordered and so that was the thing that i didn't understand at first and it it took me some years to finally figure it out that if you posit that Jesus Christ returned already and that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred and that our salvation is complete and we have it fully, well, you, by necessity, have to redefine all those things. Um, and so let's take um, – we'll take salvation, for example. When you, when you look at salvation in the Bible, when you understand it, the big picture of salvation, it's all its fullness – Salvation actually contains multiple aspects to it, uh, what some might call saving graces. Uh, There's our effectual calling. There's regeneration. There's repentance, faith, justification, adoption, sanctification, uh, perseverance, glorification. I think Robert Raymond, when he goes through this uh, list, I think he lists like 10, 10 total things. This is the order of salvation, we call it in theology, order salutis. And if, most people they just list it as three things: uh, justification, sanctification, and glorification, which is which is good. That's correct, but there's there's more to it. But right. that that's the that's the whole of our salvation involves all of these aspects. Well, if you say that in AD 70 Christ came back and glorified all of us, whatever that means, <laughs> right. What do you do with the fact that here I am supposedly a glorified man but I still have sin in my life? You know, how do I how do I make sense of that? What do I do with that? Right. And see the the historical, you know, Christian view is when you're glorified, your soul is perfected. That's the first stage and then in the second stage your body your body is resurrected and you're reunited with your perfected soul. the eternal state well if you say all that stuff is is, has already happened it's in the past and i'm glorified now you by necessity have to redefine what glorification means and so when you start asking these guys well what does it mean to be glorified a lot of them can't even tell you um right they just throw all time texts at you it's like they haven't they haven't gone that far and have thought through these things and, yeah, exactly. They're like, well, what do you do with the time text? <laughs> it says near.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. wait a minute. We're talking about glorification. Yeah, but what about the time text? Like, uh, okay, here we go.
1: But, uh, and so, well, yeah, but when you st- that, when that, you that really that start to uh,
0: uh, do, right? I'm sorry. It's a, Gnostic, it's a Gnostic movement because some of them, also they'll try to define it. And they'll say, well, the glorification is just for your soul your body you know yeah. they make they, they'll like mock it God is not concerned with, with, with you know what they call it Um it's, it's words they use to, to like they parrot I don't know if it's Preston or who but they're like oh, it's just a bag of bones or you know <laughs> dirt No, God doesn't care about your dirt body you know just your soul and and that's clearly uh, a Gnostic Uh, distinction Yeah,
1: they would say that that's you know carnal thinking yeah You're, you're thinking about you're you're fixed on the earth you're not fixed on spiritual things supposedly um but again the problem though is they can't define these things and what they end up doing is basically uh, equating glorification and sanctification with justification. It's basically like they, they take all these aspects and make them one and synchronize it together. And so salvation in their mind is just when God uh, declares you righteous based on the righteousness of Christ, and then that's it, you're saved. You've got it, you're done, it's finished. There's nothing else uh, that God's going to do in your life. And so, um, and then when you ask them, okay, so when
0: you die, and you make that transition to where? Where do you go? If, <laughs> because if, if heaven, the way a lot of them, uh, I would say most I've talked to, describe heaven as no, heaven is not some place. It's here. We are in the new heavens and the new earth. But when you ask them to explain, okay, so when you die, where does your soul go? And with that question, can you please show me in scripture your view of where your soul ends up? And usually I get, oh, well, it's some some form of some spirit realms. Okay, can you show me a biblical context for what you're saying? They never can. I never can.
1: Yeah. yeah, there's there's been different views among them about heaven. Um, like you said, some of them think it's just everywhere. <laughs> We're in it now. Um, or you become yeah. become part of Christ's body.
0: You yeah. Die like Voltron. And you're like, <laughs> what am I? Fingernail? What, what's happening? I don't know. What's going on here? <laughs> Man, how did I end up being a butt cheek? Man, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, what's on? going on, man? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why am I in nose hair? Anyway. Um, so yeah, but then there's there's some of them. They do believe that there's like a traditional view that um, you know, heaven is distinct from here and your soul departs, but, but you know, what one would the, where would but they one go? Of, yeah, one of the questions you need to really uh, get on them about is well when you die does anything change with respect to your soul because if you say that something changes and god has to perfect you when you die your soul then it's not finished then is it (laughs) but if they say well no no it's all finished god's done everything he's going to do for us but yet you still have sin in your life does this mean that when you die and go to heaven are you still going to be sinning in heaven that would be the, the rational outcome of that, all right. Well, Dave Curtis, who's one of the OGs of hyperpreterism, he flat out came out and said it in a sermon. He's like, Yes, when we die and go to heaven, we will more than likely be sinning in heaven because, oh. <clears throat> which is absolutely insane, it's blasphemy, but it's consistent, yeah, With with his view because if it's right. all fulfilled, if it's all done. There's nothing left to be done when you die. And so there's, you are perfected now. So nothing's going to change. So you're going to drag your sin and everything else into heaven. And it's just, uh, so that's what, that's why it's, we hark on it being uh, damnable uh, with regards to salvation. It's a different gospel, it's a different salvation. Of course, they don't like to hear that. They get angry and ticked off when you say that. But hey, I mean, all right, that's that's the logical result of it. I mean, what kind of salvation is this that God just says, "Well, okay, I forgive you, but I'm going to leave you, you know, in your sinful nature, your sinful state, and and leave you in that forever." That's that's not salvation in the Bible. I and mean, sin uh, is not sin. How sin defeated?
0: <laughs> you know what? Yeah, it's not. Or, it's just ridiculous. So basically, what we're saying, then, what you're saying is. So people can understand out there that uh, hyper-preterism is not just some added extra eschatology view that we can just discuss and disagree amongst Christian orthodoxy. No. The hyper-preterism is a totally different redefinition of Christianity. And mm-hmm. so if we follow that logical conclusion, a redefinition of Christianity is a cult. It's the same thing <laughs> as what Mormons do, what Jehovah Witnesses do. They have redefined aspects of Christianity and made it their own, into their own little group. And that's what hyper do. And that's what, what my main concern is are the, the ones who claim to be reformed. And a hyper They think they, they can they can maintain you know, a, cons- a consistent view of Calvinism, of Reformed theology, with a hyper preterist view when when you push them, and some don't really stick around, you push them to define the terms, the way the reformed historical creed and confession define them, they disagree with it. So then right. you sell, so if you disagree with that, then that's not the Reformed view, and you're not Reformed. Then what's the next thing? Well, I don't care about the term reform. <laughs> I don't care about it. Okay, so why are you arguing about it? If you don't care about it, why are you so mad that I'm telling you you're not Reformed and that you can't hold the two you know, together? Because, of course, as you know, Calvinism, have God has an elect, and... You know, in, in hyper there is no end to the world. It just continues to go on. The the God's elect is some infinite number of people that never ceases to be. That was that was one of the things I used to argue. I remember when I used to debate you guys. That was a point I used to make about why you can't be a Calvinist, because Calvinism defines elect as a set number. Of people God has chosen in eternity, not an infinite number of whoever, you know, throughout time that goes on forever. This is the new heavens and the earth, and the physical part of earth continues. When you die, you go somewhere. We don't really know. You might become part of Christ's body. Uh, you're in some better part of this new heaven and earth, some realm out there somewhere that they can't prove from scripture. Um, that was one aspect of it, you know, and of course, um, those are the main people that I'm really concerned about because the non-reformed folks, listen, there's like, as you know, so many different Views within, like you said, you get 10 hyper predators into a room, you come out with like 15, 20 different definitions and versions of hyper You know, you got your covenant uh, eschatology, guys, like you said, you have your Israel only, everything's done. So, hey, guys, by the way, you all, you non non Jews, uh, all that stuff in the Bible that was for the Jews, that's done. We just now living, and there is no God for us. We're screwed. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, thanks. Uh, you <laughs> know. Oh, and the other point I used to bring up, I remember the first thing that used to pop in my head, I used to argue with you guys, was um, how hyper-preter- hyperpreterism redefines the fall of sin in the beginning in the garden, where You know, death was always part of God's plan. It wasn't a result of the fall of sin, of the fall of Adam. Sin entering the world and bringing not only spiritual death, but a physical death. And hyper would say, well, no, it was just a spiritual death. Okay, so the restoration of in Romans, uh, about the first and second Adam, and the defeat of sin, is all spiritual death. Right? And so now that sin is defeated, okay, in 70 AD, Christ returns spiritually and judgment, we're justified, glorified, everything's done. He has done away with the curse of Adam. The curse of Adam is done, gone. Okay, so and then now what I would ask is okay, so what you're saying is you went from, so prior to 70 AD, you're Augustinian. After 70 A.D., you're Pelagian. <laughs> you know, so everybody born before 70 A.D. are all born in sin, totally depraved. After 70 A.D., nobody's born in sin because sin, according to their logic, has been defeated. So mm-hmm. it, it, it leads to the fact that, okay, so now everybody born after are not born with the corruption of sin. So how can you even have sin in your hyper predator's view in the first place? See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I, they don't they don't know how to answer that either. Other other than to just again, okay, I get that, but you know, what what was the answer you used to get? Well we don't have a systematic yet. But we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave you a system. I just took your your view to its logical conclusion so you can't even have sin. At least the Israel-only guys are consistent with hyper... I think a consistent hyper-preterist view actually does lead to an Israel-only paradigm because that's what they do. They throw everything... Everything's about ethnic Israel. Everything's about the Old Covenant made with israel only and that's what the world was and you know and a new heaven new earth because the temples being destroyed and for the jews that's like ah the end of our world you know the end of our existence as a people and things like that that would make sense in the israel only view and to drive them even more crazy i say Okay, so hyper preterism is dispensationalism in the past, <laughs> yeah. What makes it, and dispensations get mad when you said it too. So it's dispensationalism <laughs> in the past, and dispensationalism is hyper preterism in the future. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no,
1: yeah, no, I mean, they they definitely share a lot of uh, dispensational assumptions
0: mm-hmm But especially when you have an Israel centric paradigm to scripture when it's not mm-hmm. crystal center. It's not Christ centered No offense to my dispensational friend right now. They probably want to rip their hair out from mm-hmm. us talking about that But it's true. The Bible is Crystal centric. It's about Jesus Christ. He is You know, he is that Israel that the Bible talks about not a physical people Though they are important in history, of course. They're God's people that God used to bring. You know, we don't want to downplay that either, obviously. But both... I think that's one of the main errors that they both make. Is they make the Bible Israel-centric. And then you got Israel-centric paradigm in the past. And an Israel-centric paradigm in the future. Mm -hmm. So, like you said, there's a relation there between the two.
1: Well... There's a dirty little secret about hyperpredatorism. Oh, <laughs> if you think about it, it's gonna be juicy. It's a myth. There's actually it actually doesn't exist. You're like, what are you talking about? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist for the same reason that evolution doesn't exist. The theory. I know it's out there. I know people use the term. They call themselves this and that. But think about it for a second. A hyperpreterist is someone who believes that every single prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled. Well, here's the dirty little secret there's not a single hyperpreterist that has actually exegetically demonstrated that. Not one of them. <laughs> in fact, if you were to take every hyperpreterist out there and combine all their works to create like a commentary or something or a study Bible, they still would probably not even account for a third of the Bible. In fact, um, when we shortly after we came out of it, we we set up a debate with Sam. Uh, Sam came out of it shortly after I did. And uh, we set up a debate between him and Michael Miano down in Fort Myers. And my buddy Enro came with us. He's a deacon at our church. And he asked Michael Miano during the Q&A, he said, I forget, it was a prophecy in Daniel. He said, what do you do with this prophecy? And Michael Miano said... I don't know. I haven't studied it. <laughs> now, okay. Now, th- now think about that. You're just in a debate. It That's <laughs> you're in a debate arguing that it's all fulfilled. But, yeah, we just brought up a prophecy that you said you haven't, You don't know if it's fulfilled or not because you haven't studied it. Well, if mm-hmm. you don't know if it's fulfilled, then why are you arguing for everything's fulfilled?
0: <laughs> so you're a partial preterist then, sir. But
1: so that's the thing because you know they always want to put you on the defense and say well you know you guys you're the ones that gotta you know defend against this or that and put the burden of proof on us like no the burden of proof is on you guys because it's never been proven Mm. so so if you you know if you think about it rationally like how how would a person go about proving that theory. Well, either you'd have to exegetically demonstrate that every single prophecy has been fulfilled, which none of them have done, or you might say, well, what if we have a verse in the Bible that basically is like a cheat code, so to speak, where, say, Jesus tells us everything was fulfilled back then. So that's where you get them going to a passage like uh, Luke 21, 22. It's one of their favorite proof texts that's the verse that says for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written and what they do you know when you look at that context there in luke 21 jesus is talking about he says when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation has come near then let those who who are in judea flee to the mountains let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out of the country enter it for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written now you'll find historic preterists that take that passage and say, "Yes, that is referring to 8070." There's no question about it, and I still take it that way. But then what they do is they say, "Aha! See, you admit, Jason, that th- those were the days of vengeance. Well, what does it go on to say? To fulfill all that is written. So there's your verse. You know, Jesus Himself said. It. In fact, Don Preston says. And i'm quoting from him he says do you realize that jesus jesus said when all prophecy would be fulfilled read luke 21 22. he said how many prophecies are left out of the word all did jesus say that all prophecies except a few would be fulfilled here jesus's word should make us rethink our concepts of prophecy in the last things so <clears throat> what they've done is they've taken a verse like this and there may be a few others that they point to but this is the main one and that becomes their grid through which they interpret everything else in the bible they 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 start off with a theory because it's just that it's a theory like we said they haven't they haven't proved it proven it they haven't demonstrated it so they start off with a theory that it's all in the past it's all fulfilled and then so when you start bringing up the garden and the fall and all these other things they're going to force that theory onto those texts and they're going to they're going to it's like clay. They're going to take it and fool with it and mess with it and make it fit their mold uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to explain how it was fulfilled even though that's not what the text says in Genesis. You know, it's... Uh, they
0: spiritualize everything.
1: Yeah, so... <clears throat> I, I have literally had conversations with preterists that said... or hyper-preterists and... But uh, well, what do you do with this prophecy? Well, well, let me read it. And then five seconds later, well, that was fulfilled already. <laughs> I like, you don't say.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did not know you was going to say that. But again, that's the problem is they they start off with that premise, that theory and that 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 runs everything. The time text for them is everything. And because they're not systematically trained because they've never taken the time to go through Genesis and actually exegete it and stuff that Um, that's why the red flags don't go off in their head. and They don't see the problems, but that's, that's really what's driving it. Um, in fact, one of the things that led to me coming out of the movement was there was a group within hyperpreterism that said, well, if everything's fulfilled and it has nothing to do with material creation, it's all spiritual new heavens, new earth. If that's what the Bible teaches at the end of the book well maybe the beginning of the bible the creation account is about the creation of some spiritual world it's not about the material creation um and they call this view uh, covenant creation so a book came out by two guys they wrote about it and sam and i was like this is nuts this is crazy you guys are clearly reading stuff into genesis that's not there it's clear that you know moses is talking about the material creation and all this and so what had happened was we we found ourselves uh fighting those guys more than we were like guys like you <laughs> you know, like christians we all of a sudden we had this major in-house fighting going on and and people splitting and, and um and arguing of this but you know they again they were they're, they're they're taking this theory and they're just you know Forcing everything into it. And. Um, Can you give us a brief. For those who are not aware.
0: Of the main tenets of. Covenant creation. So I know it's. I know it's wacky. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, I mean again. That's what happens. When like you said. When you don't. When your, the, when your eschatology. Is void. Of a systematic theology. And then You you try to make your systematic theology fit your systematic trying to make your systematic theology fit your eschatology when that's eschatology is part of systematic theology, sure, but they have it backwards. you know So like you said, when they try to fit the end in the beginning, what are the, some of the implications of this this covenant creation? they say about you know you said genesis and everything that like, goes are, we, are we in some kind of phantom world i mean <laughs> what's happening
1: <laughs> well the <clears throat> i got a lot of flack for pointing this out this and this, this is stuff i was refuting when i was a hyperpreterist i i written articles about it arguing with these guys and, um basically what it is is these guys are basically evolutionists uh, they believe in old earth Uh, They put a high premium on whatever modern science is telling us regarding the origins of the universe and man. And so I think that what they were trying to do was because, you know, there's this there's been this long age debate over the Bible versus science. You know, the the scientists are telling us we've been here billions of years. But if you read the Bible straightforward, it seems like we've only been here maybe six to ten thousand years at the most so it's, you know, generally a young earth and uh, the days of creation, according to our confessional reform thinking is six literal days. It doesn't we're not talking about long spans of time. Uh, so that's always been a debate. But what they did is they basically fall on the side of, you know, science is right. in all with regard to all this, the age of the earth and how long we've been here. And we probably evolved over millions of years. And so the way they get around Genesis is to bring in the full preterism and say, well, if it's all fulfilled in, you know, the new heavens and new earth, for example, in Revelation has nothing to do with the physical planet. Well, then maybe that what that replaced was an old heavens and earth and that old heavens and earth is not about a physical planet. It's about, you know, uh, the old covenant or the old spiritual world or whatever so they interpret uh so basically what they would argue is that mankind had already existed for millions of years probably evolved and adam was basically one individual among the mass of humanity that god finally chose to enter into a covenant with and that was the beginning of you know the God's relationship with with mankind, and you know, th- as far as like the language of, you know, the lights in the sky, the the animals, they, you know, they have vi- different theories as to what that is, but it's all metaphor for them. It's it's not literal. It's, uh, I think Ward Finley tried to say that you know well, the passages that we understand to be talking about the sun and the moon, the lights in the sky. He says no, that's the the moon is the old covenant and the sun is the new covenant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just weird stuff like that. But wow, that's just crazy. But it, it's it was basically, like I said, all it was is I feel like it was just an attempt to um, to try to resolve that whole science versus Bible debate by bringing full preterism into the mix as an answer, and, and basically saying that look there's no there's there's no point even going to genesis and having these debates about the age of the earth because the bible's not concerned with those things it has nothing to do with any of that it's all about the covenant and it's all spiritual stuff which and even at that whole nonsense well it's about the covenant well yeah hello this is reformed theology we (laughs) you know we've uh, we hold to a view called covenant theology where did it start it started in 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 Right. So they they use that word covenant. It's synonymous with spiritual. That it's non-material. It's kind of a synonym they use. But um, so it's a spiritual salvific
0: issue. Yeah, nothing material, bodily. Uh, again,
1: you know, Gnostic. You know. And, you know, and I would say, you know, now my position is, you know, in a sense, I don't I don't believe that the Bible is a science book. It's you know, it's not a chemistry book or anything like that, but when God does address these things uh, it is true in what it what it speaks to and you know the beginning of creation um, our origins as as a human race why god put us on there on this earth what our purpose is uh, the fact that we're made in his image those are all very uh, extremely important concepts and uh, right. right and so yeah he doesn't get into the you know the the minute details of how he did all this, but you know, he did give us what we needed to know, what he felt like we should know, and and um, and it's important. But and that's how the believers understood um,
0: creation, literally. You know, all these thousands of years. You know, it's like um, it's like this these guys destroy the you know, peripiscuity of scripture, where you know it's it can be understood by the average person in the creation account you know so all of a sudden oh you know this new ideas come the science oh the scientists have corrected us now all these years we were bunch a bunch of dummies we thought that genesis was literal it was 24 hour literal 24 hour period six days because he said morning day first day whoo How dumb of us to to assume such a thing. And here comes the liberal theologians and scholars and scientists to correct us out of nowhere. You know, they, oh, guys, by the way, you guys were wrong all these thousands of years. You read it wrong. We're here to save you. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) that's the way I look at it. It's like, that's absurd. I'm sorry. The Bible, you know, and then they say, well, our, our, our view is scriptural. No, you started with liberal, understanding, and then you stuck it in the Bible, now you you try to say that you're trying to be exegetical, but you fail to realize that your exegesis is based on these scientific findings that you're trying to reconcile with the Bible, you know. Anyway, that's that's another subject, which has come up a few times in the last few weeks with certain individuals, like, oh, I'm old earth now, and I'm like... Oh, here we go! You—you've know, <laughs> you've been enlightened, you know. You've got it. You figured it out. And we dumb caveman Christians didn't know what this things meant all these years. Man, get out of here, with that funny baloney! I, I don't just fall into that. I take that stuff <laughs> serious when it comes to the Bible and its understanding. okay they get mad when you said, you know, you got—if you're going to be consistent biblically systematically doctrinally presuppositionally, especially if you're a presuppositional apologist you're going to be consistent it's the, the bible is your ultimate authority in all things you know not some scientists or liberal theologian that came up with stuff and then they went to the bible and went to the you know word of yom and all this stuff and now they figured it out using liberal uh, uh hermeneutics which now they can turn on and say, oh, we use hermeneutics too. We use the Bible too. Yeah, after you use your autonomous reasoning to come to that conclusion that now that you stuff into the Bible,
1: <laughs> I don't think so. You can fool him, but he ain't gonna fool us, man. But... Um, it's always yeah. important to, um, it's whether it's with liberals or with hyper is you always need to force people to define their terms. Because... The thing you'll find common with all these guys is, like I said, they know the language. They know they know the terms. If you, when you start arguing with hyperpreterists, you know they say, "Oh, I don't, I don't deny the resurrection of the dead. I don't deny the second coming." Like, oh, okay. And, and then right. some people hear that and think, "Oh, well, they're fine. <laughs> they're okay. They're cool." Right. Exactly. But it's like, well, hold on a second. If the resurrection happened in eighty seventy, then what was it? What was the nature of it? because i understand resurrection to be talking about the flesh the body that's what paul says in first corinthians 15 oh no well it means well depending on which one you talk to there's like nine different views oh no it's metaphor or it's the mystical body or blah 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 and what you realize is oh you've read you've redefined it and so you're denying it i mean when you when you redefine the term you're denying it um right. I mean, if you just want a simple analogy, like it'd be like someone saying, Well, um, you know, I, I was just visited by Jesus the other day. And, you know, if you said that to me, I'm thinking, Jesus Christ. I'm like, What, what are you talking about? And then I ask, Well, who, who's, who are you talking about, Jesus? Oh, that's my Mexican neighbor next door. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, the gardener. <laughs> you know, he said the word, and I'm thinking one thing, but then when I asked him for a definition, I realize he's talking about something totally different. Uh, so, right, it's just it's very important when you they're, engage. They're clever. They try to be clever like that. Like that yeah. guy that we
0: ran into recently. I won't mention his name, but he come into the group. And, right, oh, we're not full-preterists, we're not hyper-preterists, we believe in the Second Coming, and the Resurrection, yada yada. You're lying, you're lying about us. I'm like, what do you mean I'm lying? Can you explain these things? And when they explain it, they explain it, you know, outside of the Christian view. I said, well, there you go. It's a mistake for you to think that your view is Christian. It isn't. You know, Man. I get annoyed with people who should know better, who have phds and this stuff and theologians not all of them you know just a few were like well they just understand the second coming differently you know it's just their way of their second coming is in 70 a.d yeah yeah but that brings a whole host of problems (laughs) if the second coming was in 70 a.d if the resurrection was in 70 a.d and things like that it wasn't even a physical resurrection you know, and people like are watered down when it comes to that. You're you're not doing the people who are listening to you. A st- you're doing them a disservice because mm. you're you're making it seem like preterists are within the realm of orthodoxy and are Christians. Now, that's not to say that there are some temporarily deceived. Uh, real Christians who are working through these things and at the moment are hyper-preterists. They're like, I believe that's to you, but the God is not going to leave them there. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not going to stay there. He eventually brings them out of that error, you know. So, like, for example, when you was a a, a hyper-preterist, we've had the discussion. I've always said, you know, I've never said, well, I don't know if you're saved. And I, I believe you're Christian. You say you're Christian. I'm not saying you're not. I just think, you know, right now you're in this state of learning and confusion. That's what I say to even to some Reform hyper Now, I'm like, if you're a true believer, you're going to recant this stuff eventually. Because you can't. The Spirit is in you to do His job. And His job is to bring you to the truth. Right, not a perfectly systematic truth. I get it, you know, there's variants within the Christian orthodoxy, you know. Um, but he's not gonna leave you in confusion with basic stuff, you know, that, that all Christians believe that are true believers, you know, the deity of Christ, the Trinity um his death and resurrection the miracle claims you know the fallible word of god you know his physical future return those are basic christian creedal belief that we all hold and that we are united together as one even though there's different uh denominations but we're all united in the essentials you know i know people cringe on essential but people want to bring in their own essential i get it but what i mean I mean by essentials i mean by the basics of christianity what's in the athanasius the apostles creed and things like that you know so but i think people who downplay the absolute uh blatant heresy of hyper it's not doing the people a, a, a service of warning them about it you know so anyway Wait. That's my take on that, on on people who, oh, this is just another eschatology. No, it's a totally different version of Christianity. It's a totally different version of the gospel itself. (laughs) I mean, you know, how can you say this is just their version of Christianity? No. Once you say that, once you say, well, this is their version of Christianity, you've already conceded the point of what I'm trying to say. You know but um yeah, yeah can, they... you, um, can you also uh, I know we're running out of time here but <sighs> uh, so when it when it comes to that okay we are we know that uh, hyper uh denies the physical so see it's annoying to, I'm just going to rant here. It's <laughs> annoying that we have to, we, the Christians who have held these views for over 2,000 years, have to distinguish ourselves or use the proper words when, when talking about this because of the hyper preterists out here, you know, jacking our terms. See, so now we got to emphasize, we can't just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus' return. That, that doesn't do it anymore, within that that discussion. Now you gotta say, well yeah, I believe in Jesus' physical future return. You gotta make all those distinctions now, you know, to make it clear that we're making a, a, a difference between the two camps. That's sad. Um, but they, they reject the future. Okay, so to summarize, they reject the future bodily return. They reject a future bodily resurrection. Of not only believers, but also the reprobates uh, who also will resurrect with a body and go to their destination. Um, they believe that the gospel is Israel centric towards Israel, the Jews, the good news of a re- regeneration for ethnic Israel. See? And now that's when these things start to come out. You know, so both so that's not christianity that's not the christian view uh, so can you um are there any other implications that you can think of of uh, holding to a hyper view other than ones we obviously we talked about i mean it gets <laughs> no worse than saying that hyper is a heretical cultic view that has a totally different Christianity when they're redefining terms and using similar terms, the familiar term we use to confuse people, to try to bamboozle guys into the movement. Say, oh, see guys, we can, we believe that too. We just see it over here. And then all the implications of that, the, the consequences of those holding to that view is ignored. They don't look into that and I appreciate that you know now you and Sam out there ask um, you guys are still in it there's it, it, no way out for y'all you, you know now you guys are out there defending the truth and talking against cyber predators, which is good and I've, I've, I'm seeing people coming out mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot more names out there I didn't see before say like, yeah when I used to be a brother another name. when I, you I'm like man this is encouraging to see people coming out of this error you know at least back into uh the christian definition of our faith you know I think that's very encouraging
1: yeah they absolutely hate sam cuz um <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you notice anytime sam posts something on facebook uh, Twenty four hours later, he'll have like five hundred comments. Oh man! Look, I know. I look
0: I look at the comments and I look at the time. Twenty minutes ago. How? <laughs> it's like they're waiting. They're like this. Oh, well, I can't go to sleep. I'm waiting for Sam to post. <laughs> like, they're in anticipation waiting for a new posts from Sam Frost, so they could
1: go. No, it's, Sam. It's in the past. Like, it's exactly because. Um, we've been so effective in helping bring people out that a lot of these hyper predators are just panicking, um, Don Preston, he's, he's, he's panicking like crazy. And, uh, I can just, I can say, Hey, have a nice day. And then Don Preston will have like 12 articles refuting my statement.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, well, Sam doesn't understand my view. That's the first thing you see with these guys it's oh Sam Frost is using a straw man oh, he's literally quoting you like a whole paragraph I mean what yeah I so love I'm not, that uh, I don't comment much on it but I do I'm, I'm reading and I'm watching and I'm like
1: oh, wow <laughs> I love this uh, well Jason and Sam never understood hyper <laughs> yeah right Sam was in it for like fifth. I mean he helped basically develop it I mean he helped exactly push it I mean the, uh, who was it, uh, Matheson, Wilson, all these guys, and they came out with that response a reform response to hyperpreterism. That's yeah, because that's of cool. what guys like Sam were doing and stuff. Uh, Keith Matheson actually, he wrote a, uh, response regarding Acts 111, and, uh, I was the first guy he, he quoted. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, Ooh, I got Keith Matheson's attention. Yeah, but That is cool. <laughs> Of course, now I look back and I'm like, oh, gosh, take my name out of there, please. Yeah. <laughs> Just put J. Random. John Doe. Yeah, we were. <clears throat> I think one of the good signs is when I was in it from 03 to 2010, I think that was pretty much the heyday of it. Um, I think it's gone. the problem is, is. You know when it first cropped up like i said everyone i mean there were different people involved in a baptist uh baptist background church of christ and all that but we didn't really fight i mean we, we still fought over some things but we still kind of saw ourselves as a cohesive group but when that covenant creation stuff started coming out that's when things really i felt like started to splinter and uh, it just got worse from there and now you know you 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 can go into these hyper predators facebook rooms and stuff and that they just argue with each other i mean they tear each other up <laughs> so uh that is what it is That's what it is. does it does seem like it's it's become because the problem is is like back when i was in it it was like it was all about matthew 24. what do you do you know what do you do with the time text blah 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 well you can only talk about Matthew 24 for so long. Eventually, you got to start talking about other things, other doctrines. And the problem is hyper-preterists aren't equipped and trained to do it. And so once they start veering out into these other areas, that's when they start fighting each other and they can't agree on anything. And um, So I I think we've already seen kind of its heyday. I mean, it's still, it's still out there, but I don't think it's anywhere.
0: Yeah, it, it look, seems to me that it's um dying a slow death <laughs> yeah a good
1: thing
0: I'm sure somebody out there like, I disagree well yeah maybe with you and your little group but get outside that group and look at what's going on people are coming out of it but okay so on this last part then can you give us a, a brief um version of the preterism you hold to specifically about Matthew 24. Revelation, you know, how uh, they're connecting together. Um, Because obviously, it's my understanding that most preterists, and I would say, I guess, to even be a preterist uh, in, in this topic, like you said in the beginning, technically, we can all be preterists because we see things in the past. But can, well, let me ask you this question real quick. In your in your view, can you be a you know preterist when it comes to this topic of eschatology? View Matthew twenty four in a partial preterist or orthodox preterist way, preterist way, and I know there's two or three views when it comes to that. Whether it goes whether it's fulfilled all the way into chapter twenty five or to just fulfilled the chapter 24 through to verse 36. I know Damar goes in all the way into 25, and things like that. Um, Gentry to 36, he has his micro-macro view, which I like, to be honest. I like that mm-hmm. micro-macro view uh, mixed with uh, Dr. Talbis' view, which I'll let you explain. I think it's very intriguing. Um, as opposed to looking at Matthew 24 that way, but then when it comes to the book of Revelation, you say, No, I believe Revelation was written in the 90s. A revelation has nothing to do with Matthew 24. Can you be a consistent, orthodox, partial preterist and see, and, and interpret revelation? Um, yeah, revelation as future. You know and see well not necessarily revelation as future because even uh we understand that john was talking to people of his time what was going on you know with the persecutions and stuff but Um, i guess what i'm saying is one claims to be a partial prayer and say yes matthew 24 is fulfilled even maybe even into 25 but revelation It's not talking about Nero. He wasn't the beast at the time. Yada yada yada. Is that consistent to you, or do you don't you gotta have both? Like, say I I, I interpret Matthew twenty four this way, and Matthew twenty four parallels with the Book of Revelation, what they're referring to the same events. What do you think about that?
1: (sighs) Yeah, I mean. you know, when I came out of hyper-preterism, I, I was willing to go in any direction. I mean, uh, I was even entertaining all or, you know, or maybe, maybe the great tribulation. and all this stuff is all future. I mean, I was, you know, whatever. Um, and I actually didn't even really, I mean, I still, wrote stuff against hyper and when it regards those bigger doctrines like the resurrection stuff, but I didn't really get into the details mainly because when I recognized that my, the, the whole reason I fell into it to begin with was because I was not systematically trained. My focus came more on just going back to the basics, which is what I did with Dr. Talbot. And in a uh, you know, just going through like the Doctrine of Scripture. What is that? You know, why do we have the Bible? Uh, and then going through, you know, Theology proper, the Doctrine of God, who is God? What is God? Um, doctrine of man, creation, all this stuff. And so I actually haven't really spent uh, as much time on the eschatology stuff as you would probably think that I would. Just because I'm going back to a lot of those basics and, and trying to get my that firm foundation planted. But um, with that said, I still think there's, when it comes to quote unquote time text. First of all, some of these time texts I don't think are really time texts in the way that preterists understand them. Like, for example, when they say the kingdom of God is at hand the typical way that a, a hyper-preterist understand that is that it it's at hand in the sense that, well, it's coming, it's going to happen here soon, like within the next couple of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think that was Jesus's point. I think his point is it's here, it's now, it's, it's before you. Um, right. And he evidenced that by, you know, healing demoniacs and healing the right. sick and everything else, so... Exactly. So there's certain time texts that I would even question, you know, Uh, how people interpret those but um, on the other hand there's certain places where I I just can't I can't get around the fact that um, like for example Revelation begins with you know this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place you know and it says for the time is near I just don't i don't see how you can get around the fact that when john was writing that vision that revelation that it had an immediate relevance to the people to whom he was writing to at the time um it's just really hard for me to get around that it's it's hard for me to get around matthew 24. i mean jesus was he just blasted the scribes and the pharisees there in 23. he's he's leaving the temple the disciples are showing him the buildings, and he turns around and says, "You see all these things? Not one stone will be left upon another; it will be that will be t- uh, torn down." you are like, "Well, when's this stuff going to happen?" And then he gets into this discourse, and he starts telling them his disciple about stuff that that they'll experience, that they'll see. Uh, you know, we just read it in Luke: "When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, get out of the city." Uh, I, I have a hard time interpreting that as is, is uh, you know some people say well that's talking about something that's universal it's global it's a global tribulation well how do you make sense of that being global when he's saying if you're in that city particular city jerusalem to get out and if you're if you're outside of the city don't go back in how do you apply that in you know from a global perspective i mean if, if, if jesus is talking about something there that's global then there's no place to escape to <laughs> Where do you go? Right. right. So <clears throat> a couple of so that historically, you know, Eusebius,
0: you know, mentions that uh, millions of Christians uh, survived that war and that, that time because they heeded what Jesus said. They, they yeah. fled Jerusalem. And yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, let's roll up out of here. We will
1: know what's about to happen because Jesus said it and they survived.
0: That's not a and coincidence. You
1: know, and you know, at the beginning of Revelation, um, he's writing to actual churches. You know, Ephesus, uh, the church in Smyrna, Pergamos, all that. And right. and he's he and he brings up, uh, you know, this is what the Lord has against you. That you know, for example, I think he says to the church at Pergamos that you tolerate the the teaching of the Nicolaitans and. So, this is stuff that's going on then and there. Um, and he warns them through that revelation that, you know, you better repent of your false doctrine because the Lord's going to come quickly and he's going to fight against you with the sword of his mouth. I have a hard time thinking that, okay, well, I can't imagine the person who originally received that letter saying, well, is he talking to me?
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> or, <clears throat> Um, especially when it was happening to them, yeah, it was actually happening to them in Rome, what he was talking about, you know, and to think that that was something thousands of years in the future. What relevance is that? Like the pirate, okay, thanks. Uh, what am I supposed to do with this? Just roll it up, save it for the future christians Uh, what do you want me to do with
1: this (laughs) it reminds me yeah it reminds me of i think it was douglas wilson said like i can't imagine a christian hearing about the beast and then saying well who the heck is henry kissinger (laughs) or something (laughs) (laughs) you know some first century believer like who okay we figured out who the beast is but who the heck is henry kissinger who no idea who that is or or obama or whatever you know whoever obama Barry, Barry, Sortero. What's that? <laughs> Who's
0: Michael? <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy. I don't know. I don't know what so, I don't know about that subject. But um but yeah, so So, so,
1: so you have some, this you have uh if if you you have these extremes, you have either it had nothing to do with them at all, which I can't go down that path, or it just had everything to do with them and it has nothing to do with anybody else besides them and I can't go that path because you know um, this was one of the things I brought out recently with that guy that that, that you mentioned earlier that showed up in our room you know uh, one of the arguments for Revelation is well it's all fulfilled because of the time because at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book there's these time texts and these are the bookends to Revelation so everything in that book happened you know in the first century it has to because of these time texts and I pointed out how that was uh you know, just a very bad argument, because when you look at the, the thousand years, for example, the millennium. Was John saying that the beginning of the millennium was was near to occur? Well, according to their argument, you would have to say that. But yet no no hyperpredators believes that the millennium didn't start until 65 or 68. They all believe it started in 30 A.D., and so obviously that argument of trying to make the whole of revelation fit you know to attach it to a time text is impossible to do and they don't even do it consistently um right so so then that raises the question well what's what's past and what's fulfilled or what's fulfilled and what's future and I'll be honest with you there's 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 still a lot of uh parts of it that i'm still trying to flesh out um you know i i, I tend to um go gentry's route on some things like with uh the it discourse um i think matthew 25 is talking about the final judgment i don't think it's all in the past um I know my pastor T- uh dr talbot he believes the revelation not only uh prophesied about the destruction of jerusalem but then goes on and predicts the destruction of the roman empire which was well after 80 70 and then um and then eventually gets into the thousand years and future and final judgment so you know i i'm still you know i'm still working through some of that stuff it's you know it's, it's not easy stuff <laughs> But, um yeah so you know I'm still I'm still fleshing that stuff out I'm still working through it um at some point in the future I'll, I'll definitely get a lot more involved in it than I am now because like I said I'm still focusing on the basics and the foundation but um one of the things that uh, my pastor Dr. Talbot has brought up that has intrigued me a lot and this is kind of the view that Sam takes is um uh, they argue that, you know, one of the things that hyper-preterists share in common with preterists is they believe that that word parousia, which is the word that's translated as coming there in Matthew 24, is talking about a single event. Um, so, you know, a preterist would say that the Parousia happened in eighty seventy, and then it happens again. Like there is two of them, or happened to some degree, you know, partial fulfillment and then later fulfillment. Uh, I mean, there is diff- different views, but um, he argues, and Sam kind of takes this position too. And I think there is something, something to it. You know, the word Parousia in the Greek literally means presence. Um, in fact, Young, Young's Literal Translation uh, translates it to, you know, what is the sign of your presence? And what's interesting about that question that this, when the disciples asked that is, if, if Jesus there was predicting um, him visibly coming down bodily, why would they ask, well, what would be the sign of your presence? Why would you need a sign to signify his presence? Because if he's, you know, if he's physically bodily coming down, you don't need a sign. He's here. He's there. You know, it's like, you know, if you walk into my house, I'm there's Ricky. I don't ask, well, what's the sign that he's here? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you're here. Um, so they they actually interpret the parousia as it's the presence of the God man in heaven. Because, as we all know, when when Jesus, after he resurrected and he showed himself to his disciples for a period, as it says in Acts, he ascended into heaven. I mean, he physically ascended. predators deny that too; they argue weird stuff there. But he physically ascended. They, they, you know, they're looking up into the sky and watching him go away. And as they're they're gazing into the sky, the you know the the angels appear and say, "Hey, why why you?" staring up in the sky he's going to return in the in the same manner as he left and so they interpret the the or the presence of it actually begins with the ascension of christ and another interesting part is in the book of daniel um daniel has this uh let me see if i can just pull it up real quick He has this vision of the um, Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days and oh, come on you program the program's running a little slow here running all this stuff
0: so that Jesus is- sitting on the throne the right hand of the Father is uh, him
1: being in the presence here we go Daniel 7 it says and I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven now that language is reminiscent of Jesus in Matthew 24 he will come with the clouds but notice, in what direction is Jesus coming in this passage? Notice what it goes on to say. Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Hmm. So, this coming in the clouds of heaven that, that the son of man's doing here, where's he going in this passage? He's not coming to the earth. He's going to the father in heaven. That's where the vision's taking place. And then when he ascends, he's given all uh, power, authority, that given all dominion, glory and the kingdom, that all people's nations languages serve him. So they argue that this language of parousia, the presence is the presence of the God man who, who is, who died, was resurrected, and now has ascended to the father that he is present in heaven um, where he sits at the right hand of the father. And as Paul sa- you know, Paul says in first Corinthians will stay there and remain there until he puts all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so the parousia in this understanding is it's not a, a punctiliar event that just happens you know at a point in time and it's it's done it's over but it's actually describing the whole reign of christ from the time he ascends to the father till the time that he visibly bodily returns and so and what's so appealing to that view is when you see text uh, for example of um, i can't remember who he was i don't know if it was to the high priest or something when he when Jesus told the high priest, "From now on, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds," and I think it was the high priest tore his robe, and you know that's mm-hmm. blasphemy. And um, right there's 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 certain verses in, in the New Testament where this language of coming in the clouds and the parousia are, are seem to be tied to a time text like this was something they were expecting to happen uh, within their lifetime so what, what this view that, that Talbot has and Sam's kind of been developing is, is it argues that, you know, the parousia describes a, a duration of time that actually began in their lifetime. It began with the ascension. And so there was an immediate relevance to it. And that, you know, that kind of makes sense with Revelation, too, because in Revelation, when uh, John's writing to the seven churches, he's constantly telling them Jesus is going to come to you and judge you quickly you better repent and so there's this and, and this is kind of where i'm at with this is what i understand to be going on here is that when jesus ascended into heaven and was given all power authority to rule and reign that it's from heaven that he now rules and reign and he's putting his enemies under his feet And that there is a sense in which Jesus, I don't really like to use the word comes because it it confuses people. Like, are you saying Jesus literally comes out of the sky? Well, no, I'm not saying that. But there is a sense in which he, as he's ruling from heaven, he is administering uh, judgment on the nations, on peoples. And he's been doing that ever since. Mm -hmm. And the destruction of Jerusalem was not a one and done final judgment it was the beginning of jesus's rule and reign this was like the first major event that he does mm. as the king in heaven that is a sign of his parousia so you see mm. how that language begins to work when they saw the destruction of jerusalem and the temple that was their sign that jesus is in heaven and he's ruling and he's reigning and he's not going to put up with this nonsense <laughs> you know Right. And then and then the, the destruction of the Roman Empire was another sign of the parousia. And it just goes on. On and on goes and, and throughout through world history. Throughout history,
0: yeah. The fluctuation of things and its own purposes, but there's a continuing, um, you know, like I said, it's a straight line. There's a fluctuation in that straight line, but it's a progressive... Judgment through the preaching of the gospel, you know where you know Christianity spreads, paganism is toppled. Um, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who has a statue of Zeus at their house, <laughs> and you know, worship you know at the Church of Zeus, you know. Uh, so that that's what one of the things that uh, brought me to the post millennial view too is un- finally clicking, understanding that. You know, Jesus' judgment and, and the gospel spread is not one climactic event. It's a, you know, slow, progressive uh, growth of the church with its up and ups and downs. But even with those ups and downs, it's still moving forward. Still mm-hmm. moving forward towards the goal, you know, of conquering, conquering all the nations. And I mean, that's obvious to see in world history, you know, what we're seeing. Um, and I think that's the problem. A lot of people don't, don't even know world history, much or less church history. So they don't see that. But once you start studying that stuff, you can see that, well, Christ is reigning and he's putting his enemies under his feet. You know, and I remember talking to Dr. Talbot, he was saying, that's a, it's a... The way he put it was that, you know, Jesus is in the process of coming you know it's like a progressive coming he he's come and that language he's come he's come to his throne he's he's there you know ruling and he's coming he's come and he's coming so it's a progressive coming it's not like you said, not one-shot event but it's a continuous Flow into world history where Jesus is setting up his kingdom throughout history. Christianity Mm -hmm. is spreading. And then, when you know, all nations are under his feet, he comes, boom. All right, there goes, there's my reign. I find that absolutely, um, like you said, intriguing and makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, I think. I think John Owen, for example, if you read his commentary on 2 Peter three, now he he interprets that as a prophecy about destruction of Jerusalem, which I, I kind of question that. But what? But the point is, one of the things that he goes on to say in that commentary is he he does use the language of Jesus coming throughout history, you know, multiple times that. Um, And the destruction of jerusalem was just one example of that so it's not an entirely unique view um and you know you just got to be careful you know when you when you say jesus is continually coming obviously you got to make a distinction between um you know god visiting a nation in judgment versus his physical bodily return we definitely do not deny that Um, right but it, it's his bodily return that's going to bring all this to its fullness, to its end. But, right. you know, I, I think of like uh, Psalm 2, for example. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Like, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and, and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nation's for your possession. There's Daniel. There's the, you know, the ascension of the, the son of man to the throne. And he's been given... Uh, the nations for his inheritance. And it says, And you shall break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So there's his rule, there's his reign. And then, so what's the instruction now to those who rule? Verse 10 Now therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. So to me, that's just a beautiful summary of it right there—the the reign of Christ. That if you don't if you don't think it's relevant uh, that politics is not relevant uh, to how nations uh, how we govern ourselves, uh, what we do with Christianity, what we do with other religions, uh, I think Psalm two has something to say to you. <laughs> exactly. That if we if we don't if we don't serve the Lord in all areas of our life um, he's going to crush us I have I have some some thoughts about me that kind of overlap with conservatism but to constitutionalism we need to repent <laughs> you know, we, right. uh, repent we to, that's a scripture right follow yeah. the Lord and return to the law of God and, and rule in righteousness and and right. if we don't conservatism is not going to save us uh so i believe whoever we become
0: whether we're still the united states or we become part of russia or china <laughs> um eventually of course being post-millennial we know that eventually you know uh, that we turn into a full-blown communist pagan country it's gonna fall and be crushed mm-hmm. under you know god's iron fist jesus iron fist too in a way yeah um so real quick lastly what are you doing now these days a lot with dr talbot's church what exactly i know you're studying but now you're heavily involved with the church
1: yeah well i met dr talbot he was a mutual friend of uh with sam because sam actually attended whitfield and so, uh, when I came out of hyperpreterism, one of the first guys that that talked to me was Dr. Talbot. And, and uh, I was driving a truck at the time. And I said, Dr. Tail, you know, I realized that I was not systematically trained. That was part of the problem. So, you know, do you have any type of special thing that I can do with the seminary, Whitfield Theological Seminary, that he presides over and maybe audits some classes? And he's like, because I, c- I couldn't afford it. And plus, I was driving a truck. And, so he sent me a bunch of uh cds and stuff to listen to and that kind of started our relationship and then uh he eventually asked if i would come down to lakeland just to get involved with his church and what he does so i've been here seven years and uh, been ordained as a deacon there in the church and then i'm now what they call a licensed pastoral minister it's basically a an officer in training pastor in training and so I'm helping to uh minister the sacraments, preach and teach and and just helping him out and also uh help out a lot with the seminary, you know, working that and the webmaster for all this stuff and yeah, just working on uh working on a second masters and eventually hope to go on go on to get my MDiv and doctorate and um uh, right now the lord willing the the goal hopefully is uh to become the pastor of the church once dr t's ready to retire but we'll see <laughs> great job, man that's an awesome testimony i
0: think uh some good things going on over there
1: well, you know, man just really just really getting engulfed with uh like i said the just going back to the the roots the foundation uh I, i've been able to Uh, there's two other guys in our church that we've been swapping uh the task of teaching through the shorter catechism which has been amazing um just getting back to the basics man (laughs) exactly it's good stuff brother good stuff
0: well jay i appreciate you coming on uh taking time out of your life uh especially during this time um to uh, missing that uh the new jordan episode (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to come on here and talk some hyper and eschatology i appreciate you being here brother you know you've been a great friend um i uh, appreciate always your friendship throughout the years uh so you guys know jason always helped me out with this podcast by the way of the stuff i got um he's blessed me with so with that said i appreciate it i'm gonna uh, end it in a word of prayer and um
1: you can go and watch your show brother <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks prayer. for uh thanks for having me on here and uh yes sir hopefully uh Once again hopefully be be helpful to-
0: yeah this definitely i think it it should be a, a blessing to people who are gonna hear it you know, so they can see um what you went through and the things you've brought up to be consistent to understand to get people back to theology uh, people starting in the middle and back and not starting with the basics but with that let's pray brother then father Lord God we thank you for this night we thank you for brother Jason Bradfield father pastor Jason Bradfield Lord uh, thank you for the great things you have done in his life father we Thank you for the great things you've done in my life and in my family's life, Father. Father, I ask that you bless him, bless his family, bless Dr. Talbot and his church, that you continue, Lord, uh, to use them for your glory, Lord. And we pray that those caught up in the error uh, of hyper Lord, that you will work in their hearts, that your people, Lord, that you would um, bring them to your word, to your truth, Lord God they may either be saved, Father, or to come out of this error to truly understand who you are, Father, and what your word says. And I pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, all right man. I'm going <laughs> to holler at you. I'm going to finish this up uh, with some other announcements, bro. So I see you when I see you. Word. Hey. all right guys well that uh finishes up another episode of the urban reform podcast again thank jason bradfield for being on the show and talking uh hyper-preterism and preterism so uh be on the lookout for more podcasts coming up tomorrow i have uh seth bloomberg He just had a recent debate with Jacob Brunton on classical versus presupposition apologetics. And we're going to dissect what happened last night in the debate and uh, go from there and look for some future podcasts. I'll be doing on uh, urban reform systematics, doing theology like we just spoke of, starting with the basics and going through there. I'll be learning. We'll all be learning together. And again, thank you for tuning in. See you when I see you. Peace.